Hello, and welcome to the fifth edition of The Singing Psychologist. I am Dr. Daryl Tornema coming to you live from the beautiful, historic Lewiston Opera Hall on Center Street in Lewiston, New York. You know what? It's spring today. We have the windows open here at the uh, the Singing Psychologist Studios of Musicology, um, and there's cars driving by, and we had said, well, maybe we should close the windows, and then we had a long discussion about it, like two-hour long discussion, and we just got tired of talking about it, so we left the windows open. So you'll be able to hear cars driving by. They're actually repaving the roads right now, so <laughs> they're going to be a tar machine. I think that's what it's called, a, 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 a a tarinator, um, and one of those things that brush the road and things like that. So, but we're going to venture forth and see where this goes. So, if you remember last time, I talked to you about how the electrical, the elect, electrical part of the body. Do you remember my toy here, which is electricity? So it, it moves around our body and goes where we need it to go for the purposes of survival. So sometimes when we have a significant event, what may be called traumatic. Um, or overwhelm event, that electricity kind of goes where it needs to go um, for the purposes of survival, for the purposes of a fight or flight response. So you can run away from something or you can uh, fight off something. And when you can use that electricity for the appropriate response to get away or to fight something off, then it's not stored in your body in this big overwhelm event. You fought off the dog attack, or you ran from the, the, the tornado, or um, you escaped the car accident, then the charge gets released. But if you don't use it for what it was intended for, to help you survive or to live through this moment, then it's just kind of, it's stored in your body for the purposes of survival and just takes laps around the autonomic nervous system. So in the future, if something else comes up, it says, hey, I got this superpower for you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crank it up to 11 so you can survive this, even though it's seemingly random. Uh, and we call those triggers in the current vernacular. You know about, hmm, ooh, today's the, I'm recording this on the 9th. You'll hear this on the 10th. 10, on the 10th, 12 years ago, uh, our house in Norman, Oklahoma was hit by a tornado. And it's, I'll tell you the story behind it, because what else are we going to do? We, I was working at the university and I finished and I was going to go home and I was going to do some writing. I thought, hey, I'm going to write a book. So I went to go home and do some writing. And on the way home, I stopped at uh, a coffee place because grown-ups drink coffee. I don't even like the taste of coffee, but I see grown-ups do it while they're writing. And I thought, I'm, I bet Stephen King does it. So I'm, I'm going to stop and get a drink of something. And so I'm waiting in line for my hot, steamy beverage. Uh, a, a person comes on the radio and says, there is a storm cell in Chickasha, Oklahoma which is about 70 miles from, I know 70, it's an hour and 10 minutes. I guess I don't know how fast tornadoes go. But it said it'd be at our house at 4.51. It'll be in Norman at 4.51. And I remember sitting in my car thinking, how do they know that it's going to be at here at 4.51? So I went home and tied down the trampoline because that's what you do in Oklahoma. You tie down the trampoline, otherwise it ends up in Kansas. And I called uh, my wife and I said, uh, there's a uh, tornado coming. Well, at that point, we thought it was just a storm, and I don't want to get, to get hail damage on our minivan. Actually, I wanted total hail damage on our minivan so we could trade in for something else. But she was at Walmart, and she came home, and right at 4.51, seriously, the sirens went off. And I remember thinking to myself, in the middle of this big tornado moment, how did they know 
That's pretty impressive. And so the sirens went off, and we turned on the TV, and it said that it was at Draper Lake, which was north of us. And they kind of traveled northeasterly, so we thought, oh, we missed us. They missed us, so we're getting ready to go outside and, you know, untie the trampoline. And right when we're getting ready to go outside to un untie them, the sirens start going off again. And I'm standing in the middle of the room, living room, and my daughter, Gracie, standing next to me, going, ah! screaming at the top of her lungs. She's like six, five, six years old at the time. Screaming at the top of her lungs. And I got a resi on her. Saying, ah! Gracie, ah! like that. And so um, I was going to turn the TV on, but we lost power, which we never lost power. I said, well, that's weird. And sirens are going off, and Gracie's going, ah! and so I walk outside, like a good Oklahoman, I wanted to see where the tornado was. So I walked to the edge of my porch and I turned and it was in my driveway. There was a tornado in my driveway. And I could hear Gracie inside. And so I saw the tornado and I went like that. And I turned around to run inside. And it's, it tried to pick me up like it's dribbling me across my back porch. And so I laid down flat on my stomach. And I remember looking at my fingernails, and I was, I was going to put them in the cracks in, a, in our sidewalk on the back, and I was kind of like, come on, come on, cuticles. <laughs> Don't fill me now, cuticles. <laughs> and so I got them in there thinking, all right, this will keep me from the tornado. Oh, maybe I wasn't being logical. I don't know. And the tornado took a breath, and I stood straight up in the air and ran to the back door, and I opened the back door and slammed it and soon as i slammed it just like the movie soon as i slammed it the back porch collapsed right there boom right there and i turned to run into the closet we had a closet underneath the stairs you know the closet where you keep all the junk where you throw the junk when the company's coming so you look like you have a clean house so we had that but all the junk was out of there like the tornado already hit that closet it was all it was all out of there and so my wife and gracie were getting into the into the uh closet and i'm sprinting it felt like slow motion. I was sprinting like this, like that right there. And my wife said, dare. And I said, what? And she said, it's a tornado. And I said, I know. And she said, Parks is in our bedroom taking a nap, which was over there on the other side of the house. And so not thinking this was a good time to start an argument, because I wanted to say, well, why don't you grab him too? But come to find out later that she maybe she thinks Gracie has higher earning potential. I don't know. So I run over to the bedroom, my bedroom, and Parks is sitting, in, and he's just hugging a pillow. He's like two years old, hugging a pillow, looking at the ceiling, and the ceiling's going up and down, like he's breathing, like that. And so I run in there and grab him, I put him under my arm, and I sprint out of there like Heisman. I got him under my arm, and the front of the house collapses, and we, I circle and get into the closet, and I close the closet door, put Parks behind me, and I close it and I lock it so the tornado can't get in and then it's just chaos it's like hundreds of people pounding our house with I don't know tornadoes a bat I don't know it's just chaos windows breaking shaking everything like that, that and it seemed like it lasts like an hour but it's probably like 10 seconds and it was total silence just like it is right now listen minus the tar machine driving outside And my wife says, Dare, maybe we should get out of here. 
And I said, yeah, man, we probably should go. And she said, why don't you check first? And I said, why are we whispering? And she said, you started it. And I said, I did not, you did. Kind of a tense situation. So we opened up the door and you could see the sky. Just have this be a helpful hint. If you're ever in the interior of your house and you open an interior door and you see the sky, something's gone wrong. Something is askew. So we ran to our neighbor's house and they had a Freddy hole, a Heidi hole. And it started, the sirens going off again. It started pouring rain. So we went in there and um, hid, in, hid in there for like a half hour. And then after the rain stopped, we opened the door and it was beautiful out. Oh, it was a beautiful day. Had our home not been destroyed and our life been put into total chaos, it would have been a really nice afternoon. And I walked to the front of the house and I stand there looking at my, my home and my kids are grabbing onto my legs and Carminda comes and puts her hand through my arm and I kind of flex a little bit for her. You know, give a little something, something right there. I flex for her. You're welcome. And clearly the house is not habitable. I mean, it's, it's twisted and there's somebody's trailer is in our front porch. That's why I claimed it. They must not have wanted it. They left it on the prairie. So it's mine. And the kids clothes, a dresser is in the front yard. I don't know. It's just like perfectly placed in the front yard. And then my wife says, dare. And I said, yeah. I said, yeah. Because I was already flexing. I said, yeah. And I thought she was going to look at me and say, we are strong native couple. We will be strong through this. Huh, huh, huh. You know what I'm talking about. You saw dancing with the wolves. Huh, huh. And she said, she whispered at me, and I promise this is true. She said, my underwear is in the trees. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> and she points with her lips to a tree, and it's like the, the tornado came into the bedroom and grabbed the underwear drawer and just kind of sprinkled the tree. So before my brother could come over, before the police or the fire trucks, I was climbing a tree picking underwear. So yeah. After that, why do I tell you that story? Because I had a very different experience with the tornado than my family did. Why, you say? You are asking wonderful questions. Because I, like a bonehead, went out and looked for the tornado. And it tried to pick me up, so I was using that charge. My fight-or-flight response, I was using it up. And using everything I had for survival, for the purposes of survival. My heart was pounding, my pupils were dilated, I was sweating. Everything I needed to live through that moment was occurring. My family, on the other hand, we are, were constricted. They were, they were huddled in a closet. Trauma is in the constriction. It's in the lack of options. It's in the inability to use that charge for what it is intended for. And so in my family, it looked like the four horsemen of trauma. Um, uh, Levine likes to talk about the, the different ways that it, that it affects folks. And I like calling it the four horsemen of trauma. Uh, Hyperarousal, constriction, dissociation, and numbing. And our family, interestingly, became a little case study for me because my son Parks, hyperarousal, this little hyper kid now because that charge kind of settled in him and he was always on Hulk mode. 
And Gracie was kind of constriction. She kind of tried to be in all, walked and carried herself in self-protection. And uh, Carminda, my wife, she has very poor recollection of the event. Like she always say, I can't remember you remember so much about that because what her brain and body wanted to do for her was protect her from this overwhelming memory of it. And the numbing part, which I think I might have shared with you about numbing before, we're just kind of not knowing how to feel about it. So my family had a lot of, a lot of the, the breadth of what can happen during a traumatic event. And one of the things that was critical for the healing of my family is how are things pre-trauma and how are things post-trauma? Was there care and nurturing and loving after the trauma because those are the things that help the, the brain and the body recover. We release this charge when we feel safe again. So the best thing I could do for my family to, to help us recover, to help me recover, is uh, what I call sailing the seven seas of trauma. Isn't that a cool title? I had like four seas, and then I thought, maybe I'll add Kool-Aid, but that starts with a K. But I wanted to maybe write a book called Sailing the Seven Seas of Trauma, of, of how we can help with recovery. One, create a calm environment. C, create a calm environment. Be calm so others can borrow, borrow your calm, borrow your safety, and be genuinely calm. Not just saying, oh, I am calm. You ever heard a parent scream, calm down, and that never works? So genuinely being calm. Second C, caring really being involved and really wanting the best for folks. I work with, with, with folks on, on telehealth, and they talk about raising their kids and things, and it, it's, they want the best for their, their, their families and their children, but they haven't dealt with their own traumas that they can't express or connect well with their families or children. Next is feeling confident that these, these relationships this my being calm is going to pay off knowing that this is this is how things work and being competent practicing enough at it that that you know you have safety to to loan out feeling competent in your own skin to do this next one being chameleon like do you like that one so we have calm caring confident competent chameleon like and chameleon like is knowing that that your tempo of healing and recovery is not the same as mine. So I'll go slow. Let's go slow together and let the body respond at the tempo that it needs to respond. Not at the tempo that, that I think it should respond. And you know, as a therapist, sometimes we get caught up in that because we want the person to feel better, faster. And so we kind of get anxious about that. But if we just kind of let off the gas and just be present, and let the body heal in the tempo that it should heal or that it needs to heal. That's when you create victories. Next one is collaboration. And collaboration is, I'm with you, you're with me, we're doing this together. And part of the healing process is, is being connected to someone that you can borrow that and they, there's a safe location where they can have conversations or no conversations, honestly, and just be able to sit and feel safe and recover again. When I say that, it just reminds me of one of the things we did was after the tornado, we drove the minivan all over the country. Remember, I'm a big rock star. And so we had concerts and we had, I had to do talks and things like that to different communities and, and universities and things like that. And so we drove around to that and 
some of the best times were the four of us just sitting there in silence knowing that the most important things on earth were within four feet of each other. Nothing else mattered. Come to find out nothing in that house mattered except for the four people in that car. What a moment of clarity. Come on now. And the last one is community. It's creating a sense of community with those around us. Not just the immediate ones who, who are there very involved in your own care and your own support, but the community. Uh, creating a community of healing. And we've been told for the past two years that community bad, but hear me say this. Are you ready? Come on now. That community isn't the problem. Community is the solution. Come on. You hear me hitting my desk? Come on now. Community isn't the problem. Community is the solution. Engaging, 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 and healing communities. The seven C's of trauma. Now, over our time, we're going to unpack so many little aspects of this. I'm fascinated by the brain. We're going to talk a lot more about the brain. We're going to talk a lot about the vagus nerve. And unfortunately, I have like a thousand stories. But we'll stop there for the psychology section of this right now. Next up is going to be the music session. So coming back from our little breakish thing right there for our music section, you know what we did? We closed the windows <laughs> because um, they won. We tried raging against the machine, but they won. Those things, they might as well just put a jackhammer in my window right here and said, try to do your show now. So they win. I'm done raging against the machine because I want some mellow jams. So my, uh, we do a tour off and on called the... Uh, What's that tour called, LP? The Native the native Voices Tour. Native Voices. Could you hear yourself there? Yeah. All right. I turned it up. The Native Voices Tour, uh, which uh, the idea is to do shows in the round um, with, with Native artists. And we each person does a song, tells a story, then goes to the next person, then the next person, the next. And then we do three or four rounds of that, and people get to share their stories and songs. And... Uh, one of my friends from, he lives in Phoenix now, he's Creek though, uh, but he lives in Phoenix, Randy Kemp. Uh, I've known him forever. I remember looking at his art when I lived in Phoenix uh, so long ago, and uh, we've talked at music festivals, and he's just a really good man and uh, a great flute player. And uh, I asked him if he'd be interested in joining this Native Voices tour, and he came on and Come to find out, he is this great storyteller, amazing storyteller. So he would have his flute. He, he, he brought a bunch of flutes, and uh, he would tell uh, stories, and then the, the, a song that was connected to that story. Uh, but what's really cool is he could tell that story through his flute music. And so I wanted to share him with you. Here's this song called uh, Trail of Tears by uh, Randy Kemp.
That's my buddy Randy Kemp uh, with his song Trail of Tears. Man, he can play flute. Isn't that beautiful? I don't even know how to follow that up with one of my songs. But you know what? I'll give it a shot because how the song starts doesn't even involve me. Well, it kind of does because I wrote the song. But I recorded this song in Nashville. And one of the players, uh, the studio guys, was Van Morrison's keyboard player. And the guy I produced with Larry Pacheco, Pacheco down, in, down in Nashville, he said, let me see if I can get, what's his name, to come over. And so he gave him a call, and he was out roofing his house or something, and he said, well, I need some dog food. So we said, well, let's give him some dog food money. So I got to have Van Morrison's keyboard player for dog food money on my CD. But you know what? Don't give him a call because we've got a lot more dogs now. And he came in, he sat down, he said, so what do, you want to, what do you want me to do here? I said, you know what? You could play Chopsticks, and it's going to get on the record. Okay, you could just scream and gurgle and blow your nose, and I'm going to brag about this moment for the rest of my life. And he said, no, seriously. Like, so I pretended like I wasn't being serious. And I said, um, well, the song's called Welcome to Your Rainy Day, which is, he said, say no more. And he just started, he said, play record press record and so he just started tinkling the piano like the rain falling and it fell harder and harder and harder and as soon as he got to his low note we came in with the guitar part it's called welcome to your rainy day
Welcome to Arena Day. One of my favorite songs musically that I've written. I just, I'm very happy with how that turned out. It's on the album, Welcome to Your Rainy Day. Is that the name of the, the they can't hear you nod. Yes. <laughs> That's from Welcome to Your, to Your Rainy Day. Incidentally, those harmonies you hear on really all my records is LP. So give Welcome to Your Rainy Day a listen again and listen to him just bang it on that last uh, last courses. That was it, is LP? The courses where you uh, sing your heart out so beautifully? Yes. Thank you. So yeah, listen to LP. We have, I'm doing quote signs right now, fan mail. I'm very cautious to say we have a fan, but we do have mail. We have a question from Ethan from the United States. You think that's too specific? From North America. Ethan from Earth has asked us a question. And the question is, who are your five favorite bands of all time? Which, this is a big question. It's, this is the kind of question that, that I ponder when I'm out for a hike or a jog or I'm, I'm on a long drive. I, I make lists in my, my mind of my top five favorites of everything. You want me to do my five, top five favorite candy bars right now? I could, but I shan't because that's not the question. And I just really wanted to use the word shan't in this show. So number, I don't, you know, I'm not even gonna do it in order. I'm just gonna do it in, as they come to my mind. Of course it's gonna be Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen, one of the greatest songwriters of all time. You can't listen to Born to Run, the album Born to Run, without loving Bruce Springsteen. Even if you don't even turn, turn the music on, just read the lyric sheet. The screen door slams, Mary's dress waves. Like a vision, she dances across the porch as the radio plays. Roy Orbison singing for the long... All right, I'll stop. But that makes me feel like I'm writing nursery rhymes. So Springsteen, for sure. Got to go with the Eagles. Uh, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, their musicality, I love the harmonies and love Don Henley's, the tone of his voice. Plus all, all the memories that are associated with the Eagles. Bob Seger, you gotta love Bob Seger. You know, for I just love his voice sounds like gravel, but it's in tune and perfect and sings so hard. Love Bob Seger. Hmm. Who am I missing? Paul Simon, James Taylor, the Counting Crows. I'll go with the Counting Crows. Uh, that album, August and Everything After. If you can listen to that thing from beginning to end, put your earbuds in, put your headphones on, have no distractions, laying in bed, and listen to that thing from beginning to end, it is hypnotic. Who else am I missing, LP, that you would think that, hey, you listen to them guys, those guys a lot? Um, Instinct comes to mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> Julio Iglesias, I remember you. All five musicians, but they don't make the top five. If you're going top 25, maybe. <laughs> Oh, I got another one. U2. I don't even know how I could even forget about U2. Where the Streets Have No Name, The Unforgettable Fire, The Joshua Tree, of One, Make It Happen. You know that song? Remember that one? That's a good one. Also, my current favorite is Jason Isbell. Whoo! That guy, he can play guitar, he can sing, and he's, I think right now, the best songwriter working. Uh, check out the, the album, Southeastern. Love that album. Is that five? I feel like that's around five. Five or six. 
So yeah, there's the, um, there's the answers to this week's question from Ethan W. from Earth. Uh, that's the end of the show. So here's the uh, contact information. We have a new e email address, singingpsychologist at gmail.com. Singing psychologist. Send your questions, comments, thoughts to singingpsychologist at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at the dot. Do you know what it, LP? Mm -hmm. Singing dot psychologist. There you go. Okay, that's on Instagram. And Facebook is just The Singing Psychologist, and you'll see our logo. Hey, you know what? Just for getting um, on air, I'm holding up The Singing Psychologist sticker. These things are such hot items. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. There's been a couple of riots right here in Lewiston, people climbing the walls for these things. So I'm going to send one of these to Ethan. Thank you, my friends, for listening and paying attention for a short amount of time. Let's take care of each other. See you soon.